It's just gone one o'clock on a Tuesday, so that means it's time for the Daily Maverick Show on CliffCentral.com. I'm your host, Dilly Sharalumbus, and I'm joined in an intimate setting for two candlelights uh, are glowing in the background, myself and Ranjini Munasami, uh, our senior political editor and associate editor at the Daily Maverick. Welcome, Ranjini. Hi there, Stilly. Nice to be back. Yes, it is. Uh, I, uh, you guys had fun without me last week. We I'm, did. I'm kind of getting, with, I was getting withdrawal symptoms. Uh, well, I'm glad you could make it back, uh, this time to join us. Um, and I'm not like in some hick town in, uh, you know, in Pumalanga talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually here. Uh, which is always great. Uh, last week we had Gushwell Brooks, uh, Simon Allison and, and John Stubart in and uh, we, we noted uh, in that show that we had talked almost exclusively about um, international goings on in uh, Nigeria and obviously after the Charlie Hebdo attack in France and we, we, we noted how quiet things were on the South African front and uh, you know whether that our Noise and newsmakers were still on holiday, uh, but the consensus was that the journalists were still on holiday. <laughs> and uh, since then, um, things have sort of heated up a little bit in the world of media and journalism in South Africa, thanks to a piece on the Daily Maverick by Marianne Tam. Um, that sort of exploded. Uh, that was on the back of uh, pictures that were posted on social media by the chief editor at uh, the Independent Group and the uh, opinions uh, editor at the Independent Group who uh, posted photos of themselves wearing ANC regalia at the ANC's 103rd celebration uh, party in Cape Town. Uh, and the question was asked by Marianne uh, is, you know, is this the way to go? Should editors, especially senior editors, at a publication that claims to be independent, should they be posting their affiliations uh, on social networks for the public out there? Does it bring their independence into question? Uh, does it bring their objectivity into question? Uh, does it break any rules that uh, the South African National Editors Forum has laid out for editors? Uh, and on the back of that, um, a huge stink was was you know kicked into play. What are your thoughts on on the whole matter? Well, firstly, just to say about uh, the lull, I think locally it was because the noisemaker in chief was on honeymoon, if you remember. <laughs> um, and um, you know the thing is with with the. Um, uh, uh, with December is that um, the way South Africa works, for some reason there's a lot of political activity in December and then it's shut, shut mm -hmm. down dead. Mm -hmm. um, and then the you mean things like conferences? Yes, and, uh, yeah. And so there was a lot of political activity uh, in December which is uh, why you found like political journalists still running, you know, the last mm -hmm. lap mm -hmm. just before the Christmas shutdown. Um, and then the first um, event of the year, as usual, is the uh, is January 8th uh, uh, anniversary celebration and it's, you know, traditionally a huge event in South Africa because the NC is what it is. It's, um, it's still the, the biggest liberation movement on the continent. It still calls itself a liberation movement, even though it's a, a fully-fledged political party. Uh, and because it has, you know, such a rich legacy and um, uh, you, it's so, so many heroic figures that uh, need to be celebrated, the difference now is that um, the romance of the ANC is waning, mm -hmm. uh, as you know, since it's been in government. The honeymoon and, period is over. Yes, the, their honeymoon period is definitely over. So uh, I, I think the way the ANC is, is, is celebrated is different. So, for example, on fr the, the Friday night, you had it, the, they had the fundraising dinner mm -hmm. in Cape Town uh, with you know all the high flyers in, in big business mm -hmm. there. Uh, you know there were reports that some people had to pay up to three million rand to sit near wow. President Jacob Zuma. So, I mean that tells you the kind of thing it is. Mm. And the funny thing is that Cyril Ramaphosa was, um, was speaking at that dinner and he said, you know, it's so much like the formation of the ANC 103 years ago because they must have had to sit down to dinner, <laughs> except like nobody had to shell out three million bucks, you know, to, mm. to do so. But he said, I could imagine the leaders of the ANC then sitting around to break bread. So I suppose mm. breaking bread is a relative term. 
Next day's rally, uh, you know, is uh, it's all about President Jacob Zuma's speech, and as you know, President Jacob Zuma is not the world's greatest speaker, and there wasn't really much that he announced that uh, that deals with current issues, the current crises. So it was quite interesting that you know there was not much to discuss and debate after the NC um, celebrations, but the thing that came out of it was this hullabaloo about the media, the role of the mm-hmm. media uh, and um, particularly because Karima Brown and Vugani Umdia are quite controversial figures in the South African uh, media um, and because independent newspapers has been um, caught in controversy of late mm-hmm. uh, in terms And of only a week before um, had again caused controversy by uh, issuing an apology for Max Dupree's for column, Max Dupree's column to yes. the, you know to the president. Yes. Um, and you know if you read into Max's sort of termination letter, resignation letter, um, you know he wasn't consulted on the matter. Um, he still believes that you know he was factually correct in that, and no apology need, needed yes, to be issued. Yes, the issue at hand is um, whether he was. Uh, Justified in in saying, uh, you know, in indicating that President Ju- Jacob Zuma is corrupt, mm. um, and it's it's interesting now. Yesterday with the with the DA's court case, and mm. it's still that same broad mm. issue, you know, whether there is a legitimate reason to to call Jacob Zuma or uh, refer say to he stole the money, he, he stole money, and you know the co- corruption and things. And I think it's a big tragedy for South Africa that we have to have these kinds of debates about our president. Mm. But coming back to the issue of, uh, about the media, I think, um, you know, uh, Karima Brown and Vugani Mde um, are there at independent newspapers for a specific purpose. They are there to carry out an agenda. And they um, are doing it without uh, any apology. Mm-hmm. I think that they want to make a point that they want to tra- what they call transform independent newspapers to, uh, or independent media to be more aligned to the ruling party and to the government. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that that is the the uh, it looks like the um, mandate they have been given by the by their owner Iqbal Survey, and um, I think uh, that is why they 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 know. I mean, every journalist knows. There's something inside of you that knows how you're supposed to conduct mm. yourselves, um, and they would have known that it, there was something wrong with them uh, wearing mm. um, uh, NC um, attire mm. at an NC event and taking pictures of it. Yeah, as as an expression of their support for the party yes. as well you know yes. uh, I mean there have been other instances where, for example where Ferial was wearing the the EFF beret at a DA when she was speaking at a DA conference yes. you know the the context, the context of, of that was yes. not to show support for the yes. EFF but was to show that she wasn't there in a capacity to endorse the DA or yes. to support the DA in any in any respect so a very different when you put the context of what they were trying to do which was to show their support um, which then makes it quite difficult to then look at the independent titles and say, are they truly independent? You know, when they yeah. have, are, are, are willing to express their support on something like social media. But the thing is that I don't think that they want to be independent. Mm. That's the difference. The, so this is where I don't actually have a problem with them doing it, but then don't claim yes. to be independent. Yes. I think that's the challenge is that they express their support, but still claim to be you know, yes. completely independent and objective. I'm saying, I actually don't mind if you are, uh, you know, support. I don't mind that there are publications who are pro-government. I, I think that uh, it, it just creates a diversity of, of, of content. We'll see different news items coming up. I don't have a problem with that. But then don't go and call yourselves you know, massively independent yes. and objective. I think in that case, then you know, it has to be declared. Like, yes. high in the U.S., um, Fox News has a, a certain approach mm. and, uh, and a certain, a certain bias. Uh, yes, uh, <laughs> I was trying to be nice, but yes, they do have a certain mm. bias. So their viewers know when they they are watching Fox News, they know what to expect. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's like with Cliff Central. You don't, you know, it's irreverent. You mm. know, mm. it's. Out of the box ra- radio, mm. so you don't expect a kind of poli- polite seventy percent positive news. Of sure, and the same thing in the UK as well. I mean, there are certain newspapers you know yes. are going to be pro-Tory or pro-Labour, yes. for example, exactly. and have had a history, and yes. you know that when you pick it up, that's what you expect. It's and 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 they are quite open about that. Yes, so you know, perhaps we've you know been uh, a, the South African media is a bit con- been a bit conservative in the mm. way 
it, mm. it's been dealing with it where we try to be all things to everybody. Mm. So, um, you know, the, the, the difference here is that if you want to wear NC apparel and things like that, you're doing it as an individual, mm. but it has consequences for the com- company mm. because the company hasn't declared itself openly as being pro ANC. But senior people who represent the company, you see, the, the difficulty is then what then happens to reporters who fall then fall under them, who want an interview with Musi Maimani or Julius Malema or whoever. Um, and those people feel, but why should I be giving these people interviews when they are, they are not going to represent me fairly because they already have a particular, particular bias. So while Karima and Vukani do have, um, you know, they, 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 their own choices to make and, you know, they, um, they, 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 Old and ugly enough to do what they want But the thing is that it does have consequences For everybody else in that company And the media in general Because all of us then have to um, You know deal with the, the constant debates about the leaning of the media That the media has an agenda And we all know that we're not a homogeneous group mm-hmm. we, do, we don't operate We don't all sit together and discuss Our, our stance on anything and you saw, like, for example, on Marikana, there were very different ways that the South African media approached that massacre. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's, n- there's no possible way you can say that. But when people then brand the media as being biased, then they use these examples. Mm-hmm. And we all then have to carry mm-hmm. that burden. I, I think for me, one of the, the other issues that, um, uh, that come up from something like this that become evident is uh, and one of the arguments that that Vukani and and Karima put forward is that regardless of their affiliations or support for the ANC um they felt that they can still do their jobs and still put forward arguments uh, objective arguments and still report or um you know edit in a way that that doesn't create create a bias but the, the challenge is that when, for example, there's a financial interest, when a journalist has a financial interest in a story, they're usually asked not to participate or to declare that, um, you know, so that that conflict of interest is known to the reader. Um, or, for example, if a publication is reporting on one of their shareholders, that interest, that financial interest is usually reported so that the reader is aware of that. And I think that for me is one of the other things is that that declaration you know, isn't forthcoming, you know, it's not being put out there. And I think that's, you know, it's fine to have those political affiliations, but then, as we say, declare it. Yes, but then, uh, you know, what then divides us from being politicians ourselves? Why Mm -hmm. don't politicians Mm -hmm. just work as journalists then? The difference is Mm -hmm. that journalists have, uh, you know, you're kind of wired differently. You, 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 you're there to, to produce the news and tell all sides of the story. And if you have, um, a particular vested interest, and we've seen the, the way that has, um, you know, had such a debilitating influence at the SABC, where there's this political interest influencing the editorial outcome. And we've seen how that has affected the product. And that is what is happening at independent newspapers, mm-hmm. but also in terms of its credibility and the way p- people perceive what comes mm-hmm. out of it. So even if they produce editorials and columns and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, breaking news stories, um, that they may, you know, have worked hard on and, uh, you know, b- uh, wanted to present as actual There'll news. There'll still be a cloud. Well, there could be a cloud. People will perceive it, it mm-hmm. a, a, as big as part of some agenda. Especially when you take into account some of those recent controversies, when you look at, um, you know, a leader being pushed out of the Cape Times, Tony Weaver, Janet Hurd, and the apology to Max Dupree. It's kind of, you're starting to see the evidence build in terms of people saying, well, hang on a second, these are examples of where it really does look like, you know, your political affiliations have caused the newspaper to take mm-hmm. actions that they normally wouldn't have if they were truly independent. And I think the, the interesting thing about this entire saga is that how it's brought up race issues as well, mm-hmm. because all those people you mentioned happen to be white. Mm-hmm. So Vugani and Karima's defense is that, yes, we are doing something at independent newspapers. We are, we are b- busy with the project of what mm-hmm. they call transformation. I'm not sure if it is. And so they feel that they are justified in, in mm-hmm. all those decisions because, it, you know, 
know, for them, mm. it's, a, it's, it's a matter of transforming the company. Mm. So, you know, I, I think that has brought up a, a, a number of issues mm. in the media. And I think it leaned over you. Um, the Daily Mary carried uh, Vugani Mdeh's, um response. Yes, mm-hmm. a very, it's, very it's extensive 5,000 5, mm. word response. Mm. Uh, you know, we, in which he was referring to things. I, th- I think um, it was an accusation even against us mm. as, as the white media establishment. Mm. And then you had somebody like Ferial responding to that, you know, mm. to say, you know, get real about this. Who, mm. who, who, you know, who, who exactly are you branding as what? And what is the justification for this? Mm. Because if you start boxing everybody in, mm. um, you know, then uh, you, you, you can't take anybody seriously. You cannot actually have a constructive debate mm. on these issues because that's not the issue. The yeah. issue is not who is asking the questions. It's whether or not you were right or wrong. Whether the questions were valid. Yes, whether, whether the, the questions mm. were valid, yes. And the other other point, and, and just finally before we, we round off on this, is how, and again, going back to the arguments of being able to argue something ob- objectively, um, even with these affiliations, is how do you do that in a story you don't publish? So the risk is that you don't publish a story because of those affiliations. How will you know that those, you know, the, you know, journalism is not only about what you print, it's also yes. about what you don't yes. print as well. Yes. And, and I think those are, that becomes another tricky issue because you don't know what goes through the editor's mind yes. when he or she decides not to run something that might be, um, you know, uh, critical of the ANC, for example. Yes. Uh, you know, I mean, there are all sorts of stories that come up. For example, there was a story this week about uh, the president's, one of the president's wives, Mantuli. She's, mm. she's apparently been expelled. I don't know if you can expel a wife, but anyway, she's been expelled uh from the spousal office of the of the presidency. Now, um that hasn't been confirmed as yet, but what it means is she's basically out of the cold. She's not getting financial support, you know, to do whatever it so is. So divorce by any other name or yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so um you know and for for example that, that story uh you know is it's very tricky to run because mm. it's difficult to verify mm. and things. Now people ordinarily uh, who would have like a close relationship mm. with the ANC and with the president would be best placed to write that mm. story, mm-hmm. you know, to be able mm. to say yeah. what are the facts around the story instead of getting it from mm. from from different sources. But you find that, for example, people at independent newspapers, the New Age, SABC, mm. who are close to the president, mm. don't go near those types of stories mm. because there's no good way for it mm. to come out. Yeah. You know, there's no good yeah. way for it for it to mm. be presented. So. While you may have, you may say, okay, I'm, uh, I openly declare myself as being pro NC or pro government or pro this and that. But then how is that used? Because it's not used to say, it benefits the part, it's in the national interest because we're putting out more information out there. Because mm-hmm. al- although this looks like a big scandal story, you know, we all want to know what's going on with, with mm-hmm. this wife. The thing is that it has implications for taxpayers' money because mm-hmm. the spousal support office is, it, 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 it gets a dispersal of funds from the national treasury. Mm-hmm. So it has financial implications mm-hmm. for the fiscus. So it is in our interest, but those uh, media houses that are aligned and close to have a close re- relationship to the ANC and to the presidency, they won't run stories like that. Mm. So it does not benefit mm. the public out mm. there. That's the difference. I'm glad you mentioned the financial implications as well, because you know, it, even uh, I mean, what we have seen happen and, and pick up steam over the last uh, couple of years is that, and pretty much always been the case with the SABC since it started, but is that a lot of government business does end up in those publications that are pro-government, which makes the lives of the independent and, and you know sometimes fiercely critical publications like Daily Maverick or like the Mail and Guardian, um, you know, struggling to to participate in those revenues just on the basis of the fact that you know deemed to be you know independent or critical of, of the government, and we're seeing a lot of that. Uh, you know, you pick up the New Age now. Um, you know, maybe, maybe up to eighty percent of those those adverts look like they are from a government department of some sort. The you know um, we we've seen reports of 
telecom spending huge amounts of money uh, on a newspaper that hasn't doesn't even subscribe to the audited bureau of circulation uh, and so these are also some of the other issues that come out of um having those sort of you know, pro-government leaning publications. Yeah, I think it's it's all part of how the power networks operate because whether you it's dealing with business and tenders or media and advertising, it, it's it's the it's the same kind of formula. You play nicely and you support us, and um, you know, business uh, sponsors, uh, you know, g- mm. gives back uh, in the business and parastatals give back to the ANC, mm. um, and you know, people who are in power, and and the the same thing. I, I think the same kind of formula works in the media where you, if you play nicely, you're nice to us, mm. we'll be nice to you. Yeah, so not too much government spend coming the way of the Daily Maverick anytime soon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you've been to a couple of the ESCOM briefings lately. Uh, we're supposed to be in a red week now where um, Armageddon is supposed ele- electrical Armageddon is supposed to be upon us uh, at this point in time. It really does look like there are some scary times ahead for us. Oh, absolutely. But you know what? I'm starting to think ESCOM is just messing with us now because mm-hmm. I went to this briefing last week and um, they basically prepared us for um, a rolling uh, – They don't, by the way, we're not allowed to say blackouts anymore because blackouts mean something else and they feel very mm-hmm. insulted by it. So it's um, <laughs> rolling uh, – uh, uh, rotational – It's the ESCOM race card. You can't yes. say blackouts. Yeah, no. you can't say blackouts. <laughs> so it's rotational load shedding, which is supposed to happen this week because they basically um, uh, have admitted that what they've done since about 2010 is uh, failed to maintain the entire power system. So mm-hmm. the plants out there, uh, however many they are, are basically, you know, mm-hmm. running on a wish and a prayer mm-hmm. at the moment. And that is why they, they fail so easily mm-hmm. because they're not maintained and um, the machinery is basically running, you know, on full power all the time. Mm-hmm. And but these maintenance jobs were actually part of Tabo and Becky's uh, era when, I mean, when a lot of that maintenance occurred. Because this stuff happens like in 10-year cycles. Well, uh, Tabo and Becky era, the, the problem that happened there was that the ESCOM was red flagging that there should be new generation mm-hmm. capacity, which was ignored by the mm-hmm. Mbeki administration. That's where that, mm-hmm. that was their big problem. The maintenance, for some reason, they, 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 uh, it's not very clear as to why they uh, uh, abandoned their maintenance mm-hmm. schedule. But one of the reasons they gave last week was because of the 2010 World Cup. Now, uh, they said that the, the, they couldn't afford for the lights to go out anywhere around the country mm-hmm. during that time. And that's why they kept it on mm-hmm. and, you know, kept the entire system at, at full power. And, um, so because they said South Africa would have been a different country now had the, the power gone out then. Mm-hmm. Problem is, that was for one month. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and it's or now, two months, let's say yes, two months. And it's now like, uh, four and a half mm-hmm. years later. So like, what happened yeah, after in, that? In that you know? time, yeah. yeah. So everybody went home and, you know, there was mm-hmm. actually another World Cup in Brazil in that time. There was, I don't know why they mm-hmm. then failed to maintain the system. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the, one of the reasons. Okay. They also have, a financial crisis, so they don't have so so because the 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 system is uh, is not properly maintained. They are using diesel uh, turbines at the moment uh, to generate power, and that's ex- extremely expensive. So it's it's basically just mm-hmm. you know chewing up my, uh, funding, and they do not have that funding any longer. They've run out of funds. So it's it's th- that's why load shedding now. The way they, they basically put up um, a graph showing that. Every day from this week until the end, end of April, load shedding is possible and it's probably mm-hmm. going to happen. But now, like from this week, they're saying, okay, um, the system is tight, but we do have enough. But maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day. So you never really know. Yeah. Although they were saying that, you know, all this will will happen um, uh, sort of on a planned basis mm-hmm. unless something goes wrong. So unless like another yeah, silo, silo falls, falls down. down. Uh, yeah. Or, or they run out of diesel. Or they say it gets very cold and everybody switches on the heaters. Mm. Then, you know, it can put out the whole. Yeah. But they're saying that they're going to go, they're going to embark, they're embarking on this whole, uh, rotational load shedding thing to keep the, the, so, so mm. that they can do some maintenance and so to keep the entire yeah. system working. So there's this whole fear in the country that there will be a blackout. Mm. What a blackout means is that at the moment they need about 30,000 megawatts of power to keep the mm. country running. So if, 
there's a national blackout. It means they produce zero megawatts. Mm. And it means that the entire country goes dark. And if that happens, it will go out for about two weeks. So there will be nothing, 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 nothing being generated. So... um can you imagine that? Uh, like the hospitals, will, uh, you know, the the banks will go down. Well, Daily Maverick. <laughs> Cliff Central, you know. I mean, the, nothing yeah. will operate. It means that it will be, the, well, they claim it will take two weeks to, ki- to kick up again for it to start working. But I don't know if that is because, and uh, what would be the consequences? Because, for, for example, there would be a massive crime spree right. because security fences won't work. Yeah, I mean, and just the impact on the economy, yes. you know, would be catastrophic. Yes, because you know? banks would stop operating, you know, like all financial institutions, all businesses would shut down. There'd be absolutely, it would be, you know, it would be Armageddon. It would, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, it is very frightening that, um, you know, that the, the system mm-hmm. is very fragile at the moment. And all they're saying is that, you know, consumers need to be careful and be mindful about how they use energy and things. But clearly that's not going to solve the problem. You know, we can, mm-hmm. and South Africans have been very responsive and have reduced consumption. But there is a bigger problem. There needs mm-hmm. to be more generation capacity. They need to, to step up the maintenance. They need to get Medupi and Kusile to uh, mm-hmm. online. And now, you know, they keep postponing when they go, when it's going to start up. Madupi's new date for startup is sort of mid, mid year this year, but it, it'll go into a period of testing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it'll like come onto the grid and then switch off, come on and mm-hmm. switch off, you know, while they test, you know, how, they, but it also, it, it, it only produce about 600 power watts. Mm-hmm. It can't deal yeah. with the shortfall that that's required. We had uh, Chris Yelland in here uh, on a show once, and, and he was saying that at at its maximum capacity, ESCOM produces more than what the country needs at the moment. The problem is is that it's not producing at a high enough level because there are so many power-generating uh, plants that are offline or down or closed for maintenance or supposed to be, and that's the challenge. I mean, it's just, you know, we don't actually – we do need them now so that we can bring those online while we while we fix the ones that aren't working but essentially if if the if the um grid had been properly maintained we wouldn't be having we'd be very far from having these issues the thing is that escom it's becoming clear and clear is so badly managed mm. and that was the funny thing about last week when we were at the briefing is that uh, deputy president ramaphosa was had been visiting them earlier mm. in the day and he said oh escom is a glorious company and you know i was just thinking like well, of what of course it is i mean the 20 million rand bonuses that the ceos have been getting for the last 5 but years but how badly know. do you need to stuff up and be at your job, you know, to get a reprimand. <laughs> uh, well, I imagine they'd be done their jobs properly. Imagine what kind of bonuses they would have got then. <laughs> the GDP of Lesotho. Here yeah, you go. I, I think they're sulking at the moment because they weren't allowed to go to the, uh, the, the to the World Economic Forum. Yeah, so. And uh, pretty soon we, uh, we're off to Cape Town. We've got the State of the Nation address uh, stroke boxing match that uh, <laughs> we're all expecting. Uh, what do you think is going to go down there? We're starting to hear some overtures coming from the EFF and, you know, ahead of the State of the Nation uh, address. Okay, what do you so expect the, going on? The, the newlywed uh, Julius Malema addressed the media briefing last week as well. The EFF is back in business. And um, that was one of the main things that uh, we wanted to know from him last week is that, so what is the game plan? Um, because uh, I think he stole the show last last year in in the way he uh, uh, launched the EFF, presented it as this militant group that turned upside, the parliament upside down and was a guy that was able to put President Jacob Zuma's on the spot in the way nobody else has been. So um, I think there's a lot of pressure on him at the moment to, ke- you know, to uh, to keep up the mm-hmm. pressure and to keep up the standard he himself has set. Um, so they have this massive game plan, uh, one of which is the um, whole pay back the money campaign mm-hmm. of theirs. Um, and they're saying that uh, the last time they tried to ask President Zuma was in August last year, and they uh, they wanted to ask him when he when he would be paying back the money. And that whole session was disrupted. That riot police mm-hmm. came into Parliament and all that. Um, so they they are uh, aggrieved that. Uh, for, for, from August to now, there hasn't been another opportunity where the president hasn't returned to continue answering those questions he didn't answer. So the first opportunity where he will be back in parliament will be the state of the nation address. Now that is normally a very, um, you know, formal, prim and proper, mm-hmm. um, 
high fashion. Yes, you know, it's it's very scripted. Yeah. It used to be uh, normally, you know, during the day on a Friday, um, but uh, under the Zuma administration, they moved it to Thursday nights because they wanted the whole country to be at home and watching the president speak, so that everyone can be bored to death by what he's saying. <laughs> so, um, but uh, you know. I think this year would be, would be vastly different because Julius Mayema made it very clear at the media briefing last week that they're not going to let uh, pay back the money go, um, and they're going to demand an answer at the State of the Nation address. Um, so we were asking him, but like, how would you do that? Because you know they, that that event is very formal. The you know the MPs sit, sit down, they first parade up and down with their clothes, uh, high fashion clothes, and take pictures and twirl around and then they go into parliament they sit down the premiers come uh, come in the the judges come in um and then the deputy president comes in with a whole entourage and then the president comes down with a whole entourage and then the president gets up he speaks he gives his long address and everybody goes outside and bitch about how bad it was mm-hmm. outside so that's how you know that's the form formula mm-hmm. every year mm-hmm. so at what point do you speak yeah. it's also a joint sitting of the house so it's the National Assembly plus the National Council of Provinces. So it's not the normal parliamentary sitting where you get to ask questions. So he says no. Uh, as soon as the president gets to the podium and starts to speak, they will rise on a point of order and say, Mr. President, you have not completed answering these questions. We're not going to answer it. So that's how, you know, how it's going to happen. Except that you know that the speaker is not mm-hmm. going to give them an yeah. opportunity to speak. And once she tries to stop them speaking, they're going to kick up a fuss. Mm-hmm. And then she's going to try and boot them out of the house. Mm-hmm. And then the police are going to come in. So and, you can and see. And they'll be like already prepared for, yes. you know, for this as well. Yes. So. So we asked, uh, so one of the journalists asked, uh, so are you going to bus in people, you know, to make a whole spectacle outside? And he said, no. We are the elected representatives of the, uh, economic freedom fighters. The 25 of us would make the point and we're prepared to make that point in parliament so um you know they're not planning for a circus outside to, mm-hmm. to like have you know uh i i don't think because i think what parliament's response is to just throw a net of security mm-hmm. around parliament to pre- prevent any kind of disturb disturbance of violence so julius is saying no but that's not what we want we don't want like people to come and cause chaos and like you know uh, start tearing down buildings or whatever it is. Uh, the, he said if their supporters want to come to parliament, they, they're welcome to come, but he, that's not their game plan. Their mm-hmm. game plan is just to confront the president in parliament. Um, so, you know, it, it, at the moment it looks, uh, you know, as if you, it looks quite predictable how it will play out, that they'll just get escorted out of the house. But I don't know if it's going to happen that way. I, I, I really don't know. Like between now and then, you know. Well, if any of last year's goings on are anything to go by, I mean, anything could happen. Yeah. We, we could see a, a free for all again. You know, again, on, yes. On one and of the, the last time free for all wasn't, it was mostly DA MPs mm. who were involved mm. in the free for all, you know. And um, it was uh, sort of new DA MPs suddenly discovering the struggle and thinking they were in 1976. So it was, mm. um, you know, it was quite hysterical. Yeah, um, we, we've also, I, I want to touch on uh, Jay-Z this year. I mean, we, we've seen, you look, we've looked at uh, pictures and videos um, from now versus a couple of years ago and seen, you know, a marked deterioration um, in what looks like could be his health. You know, it could also just be, you know, I mean, he's 72 now. Uh, he, you know, he's getting on. Mm-hmm. Um is there a likelihood that they could use the health thing as a way to usher in some new leadership in the ANC? Are they getting to that point where they're thinking about it? Uh, could we see that happen? You see, it it would make sense for, for so many reasons, mostly because the, I think the Zuma administration has fared so badly and there's so little faith in his leadership. Mm. And I think the ANC knows that. But, mm. you know, I, I think that there is so much dependence on the power networks around mm. him being sustained, that trying to sort of take him out of the equation now in an early exit would unsettle that. Because uh, I think there would be a fight back from, you know, ANC leadership at various levels who are quite comfortable where they are. 
So, you know, at national levels, the cabinet, at provincial levels, you know, the premiers, uh, the, the MECs, uh, the mayors, um, and then at uh, ANC, in, 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 that's at government level, at ANC le- uh, level as well, you know, the chairpersons and the, 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 the secretaries will control municipalities, will control provinces. So if you take Z- suddenly pull Jacob Zuma out of that equation, it mm-hmm. unsettles the whole thing. Mm-hmm. It means that the factions that are all aligned to him would, uh, you know, would be an uncertain mm-hmm. ground. Mm-hmm. So I don't think the ANC would take that risk now. Um, and the thing with, uh, you know, the, if they do, would do it anytime soon, the obvious candidate is Cyril Ramaphosa to take uh, over after him. The, the problem with that is that Cyril Ramaphosa doesn't have universal support in the ANC. So there will be a fight back, particularly from hardcore Zuma supporters, to having him run the country and the, the ANC. The second thing is they don't know what his agenda is at the moment. You know, he's just basically falling in line between the president and doing everything mm-hmm. he's instructed to do. He's fighting fires. He's mm-hmm. doing his job. Well, we've seen what happens when you step out of line. Yes, you know, exactly. W- even a toe uh, yes. out of line against the Zuma faction. Exactly. You, you get mowed down quicker than... The, the difference is what then happens when the boss is not there and, mm. and, and Ramaphosa is then holding, holding the reins. So the, the, I think there's too much uncertainty from inside the NC. So will he maintain these power networks? Will he maintain you know, the businesses that benefited uh, from the Zuma administration? Is he going to uh, benefit that? Or is he going to be his own man and start changing things. The thing is that with him, he's been out of politics for about 18 years. So people don't really uh, know who, you know, what is his own interest and whether he would act. So would he, for example, try and um, uh, support and uh, uh, and lean towards the business community, mm-hmm. or would he, for example, he's been working with Kosatu now to you know stitch up their problems. He comes from the National Union of mm-hmm. Mine Workers. Would he go back to his roots mm-hmm. and you know suddenly start favoring ordinary workers? We don't know that, and he hasn't said anything about that. He's basically just falling in line with the ANC agenda for, for now. And also, to, you know, potentially taking into account any uh, outcomes from the Farlem Commission as yes. well uh, uh, in his role in, in the tragedy that happened at Marikana. Yes. I, I mean, the, the, uh, everybody's awaiting, you know, to see what, what, what that will say about him. But, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think there was sufficient evidence presented there uh, that, sh- that would hold him culpable in any mm. kind of criminal way because that is the only way that that would have major consequences for his political future is if, there is, if the, the judge does uh, recommend criminal action against him. Do you think we'll see anyone, you know, sort of, you know, uh, be held accountable? I a think so. I think the judge the was showing irritation towards the conduct of the police mm-hmm. in particular. Um, but I, I don't know about anybody else. I don't know about the company, uh, you know, people in, in cabinet and things, you know, the various ministers who appeared before the commission. But, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult to say. And also because the judge gave so little away, you know, uh, during the commission. And he, you know, he's, a, he's an old conservative judge. So he knows the game. He knows not to give too much away. But we also don't know how much political pressure is, has been born on him because this is not a court of law. It's a commission of inquiry, you know. So all he does is he prepares a report which then goes to the president uh, to, to mm. be acted on. It's not like a judgment. And we've seen what up. happens to some reports exactly. that end they up on the They get buried for years yeah. and years and you don't get to see it. They get edited, uh, you know, and the outcomes are different and they are not acted on. Well, you get the SIU to do their own, their own yes, report exactly. to counter, counter <laughs> the independent report. Yes. So, you know, there's, there's no telling so what, what, what are gonna, what's going to be the consequences are from the, the Marikana Commission. We've got uh, municipal elections coming up next year. Uh, what do you think the biggest issues are going to be around those, especially in Gauteng? I think that um, particularly the EFF is going to start kicking up a lot of dust on, on, on a number of issues. Well, uh, at the moment, they are talking about occupation of land uh, that is currently on, unoccupied for landless people. And they're actually going to be setting up a fund because they know this is illegal. They know it's not allowed under South African law. You can't just basically go and, you know, put up a house on, on a vacant plot. But they uh, want to do that to kind of increase the pressure on government and to be able to change the ball game a little bit. Because at the moment, what, what happens is that 
especially with um with municipalities where service delivery is failing and things like that so you have like uh problems with water and electricity and housing and things so you just get communities go out in the streets you know they protest so the police comes deal mm. with them and then it dies down so that's basically the pattern you know you get in various communities the the strange thing about south africa though is that that doesn't those protests don't really affect voting patterns and that is why the nc has has been able to maintain its dominance in all elections because although communities become disgruntled it is difficult to, for them to make the psychological break to you know supporting the nc but i think what the eff is doing now is that it's presenting alternatives although mm-hmm. these alternatives may not be legal but they're saying they they basically put out a, a, a message to people who are homeless, who are unemployed, mm-hmm. who have no hope yep. Yep. that rally behind us. You may mm-hmm. get arrested or you may get a house. Mm. You know, so what's the chance you're going to take? So for people out there who have been, you know, living in poverty for the last 21 years, as you say, living without hope, yes. basically. Yes, and there is somebody who is saying something different, who is coming up with a different script, you know, which doesn't just say you get pounded by the police and you then go home with a few bruises. So you may get pounded from by the police, but you may end up with that land eventually mm-hmm. because there's here's this guy who's putting himself out there and saying, "Let's go, let's just mm-hmm. do it." And then and they're doing the same thing with mines. They're saying, "Let's take over the mines." Um, and you know, the the NC as as you've seen that. Um, you know, what happened at Marikana and other areas is that the, the extreme violence that came out of there is due to the extreme frustration of people living in the, under those conditions for so many years, again, with no hope. And, and the mines are not controlled by the state. The mines are controlled mostly by private companies. So the state is meant to hold those private companies to account in terms of living conditions, in terms of what they put back into communities. But that's not happening. So... The, the EFF is basically ratcheting up the pressure now to say, if you're not going to give us proper housing there, we're going to build it ourselves. We're going to take it. We're going to, t- and we're going to take, um, you know, start, we, we want the dividends from these, the, the, these, uh, the, the, the mines are producing in our areas because those are historically our areas and you came and took it and you, you're doing business on, on the, uh, on those areas and we don't, we don't benefit from it. So, you know, I think that, um, Nobody quite knows exactly how this will play out because maybe the EFF will try it a couple of times, you know, try and occupy a land, mm-hmm. like go, go up and confront a mine and say we want this and that. And, you know, if they get, they get arrested, maybe other people will be too scared to do it. Or maybe it will start a wave of something we haven't seen in mm-hmm. this country. And what, you know, the thing about South Africa is things really catch on. We've seen it with the xenophobic attacks mm. in 2008. Mm. It started with one incident, I think, in Alex, and it went countrywide. Mm. And there was no formal organization behind that. It's just, uh, you know, this it's uprising, yeah, yeah, from the ground. And we, we, you, you, you know, you light a match and it, it catches on all over the country because of the level or high level of frustration and poverty in the country. Um, we've seen. The, the local ANC government do an about turn or, you know, in reviewing ETOLs, uh, you know, which could be classified as an about turn, uh, you know, of the, um, of the ANC at national level. And, you know, are we looking at that? And you mentioned the, the EFF jumping on things like land distribution, um, as topics, as items to, to, to contest the municipal elections. Are, you know, do you get a sense that the ANC at the local government level is 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 worried about Gauteng? I think they're very worried about Gauteng. I think um, you know I think that they st- if if they do lose control of Johannesburg and Pretoria, it's a major psychological blow to the ANC. Pretoria is the capital city of the country. Uh, Johannesburg is the biggest economic hub. So you know um, it's and, and it's areas of you know where the, where there is large amounts of money. Uh, you know, and, um, I, I think that, um, they, they're gonna try and do everything possible to be able to, to, mm-hmm. to prevent losing. And, and we saw that the voting patterns in the 2014 elections mm-hmm. showed that there is a very real danger of Johannesburg and Pretoria being lost. So, um, look, I, I think that the Gauteng government had to respond to a, a, a situation where there is, there was kind of a gun to their heads. Um, and they had to look at what was the underlying cause of the disgruntlement. And yes, um, some of the problems are not different from anywhere else in the country, you know, unemployment and 
poor housing and uh, service delivery problems and things. But ETOLs, I think, is a phenomenon on its own. Mm. And I think it's also, it, it represents so much more. It, uh, you know, it, it represents the state not listening to the people. Mm. And I think that is why David Makura went the route mm. he did is to say that that is a very bad message that went out there that we're not listening. So let's listen. So mm. that's why they went through that process. And the implications for them at a local government level are much greater than the national government level. Absolutely. Because yes. we could see them losing the province on the back of, of things like ETOLs. And, and, and you saw, you see it in the Western Cape now mm. that once the, the DA gained control of the Western Cape, it's very, very difficult to get it back. Mm. You know, and because the, the DA then uses its, its control of the, the, the province and the municipal, mm. uh, the municipal Municipalities to to you know continue continue entrenching their power, and once and they know it from how they control other areas around the country, like KwaZulu Natal. The NC was not in control of KwaZulu Natal in the, in the, in the first few years of uh, of democracy. The IFP was, and um, you know they had to work really really hard and win it bit by bit, municipality by municipality, in, until they got. You know, the control mm. of the province and now it's, it's one of the biggest support bases. Mm. So the thing is that the, the reverse has been happening in Gauteng where mm. it, you know, it was, it's very dominant NC, but they're losing control. Mm. And I think that what's been happening in areas like Soweto is that the more it gets developed and the more the, the people move from the strata of mm. working class to middle class, mm. you know, they become more informed, they, bec- they become more knowledgeable mm. about, um, you know, what's going on in the country mm. and, you know, how, how deep the crises are. And, um, and also that, that time frame, um, you know, of liberation become yes. further, you move further yes. and further away. The voting base is getting younger, younger. so the memory of mm-hmm. apartheid mm-hmm. is receding. Mm-hmm. You know, so people are making decisions mm-hmm. based on what's happening now rather mm-hmm. than the historical context. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I think that um, Gauteng is, is, is going to be really, de- they have to deal with Gauteng differently mm-hmm. from how they deal with the rest of the country. Now, the thing is that, you know, the Gauteng leadership of the ANC, uh, Paul Mashatila and David Makura, I think that they, they try and box clever. They read the signs and they react mm. to it. Whereas with the ANC at national level, it's like, we in control, mm. Gwede is like, oh, I don't care. I still, you know, I run the show. It's much so more, much more measured arrogance in their yes, approach to dealing yes. with, you know, the issues at hand. Yes. Whereas I think with Paul Mashatila and Devin Makura, they know that how much they stand to lose mm. and how difficult it will, will be to get back. So I think that, you know, from the NC provincial conference, NC, uh, conference last year, as well as, um, this, uh, the, this ETALS process, you know, they are trying to go back to the roots to reach out, to make contact with communities, to find out what exactly is going on, just to feel the pulse. Mm-hmm. And this ETALS is, is the, the major issue. But mm-hmm. I think that what they've realized also is that it is not so easy because of um, the powers allocated to provinces mm-hmm. and national level. It is not so easy just to scrap it. So mm-hmm. that commission now has produced a number of um, recommendations, but it hasn't recommended the complete scrapping of ETALS. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's gonna take also a lot of hard work. If they, if they, if they're going to implement those recommendations, it's gonna take a lot of hard work to try even sell that. Mm. Because the problem now is a blanket refusal to, to participate in the ETALS mm. process. Rather than saying, oh, give us another discount. That's not what people mm. are saying. Yeah, I, I think, you know, uh, I, I, there was a suggestion somewhere, I can't remember where I saw it, but, with the oil price dropping to such crazy lows and obviously the petrol price coming down, now would be a very good time to implement the fuel levy and to collect it. So on the next drop, drop it by slightly less than you would yes. have and you can start collecting because we need that money anyway. That money needs to come from somewhere. You know, the, the money to, to maintain and to, uh, you know, to, to keep up those, the, the infrastructure. Yes, but I think the objection from people like, uh, Wayne Duvenage, uh, mm. and, um, and, and Kosata and things is that once you get into the system, it's going to be, they're going to be paying for 20 years and who mm. knows how mm. much longer. Because, you know, you can't then get out of it. Yeah, the, but uh, the main objection was the way that they were – I don't think people were objecting to paying for it. No. It they, was the way that they were implementing those, those Yes, but those you see, like, for example, changes. now the oil price is, is, mm. is down. But then in a year's time or two years' time or five years' time, that may have changed. Mm. And the economics of the country and of mm. the province would have changed. But people will still be paying. Mm. You know, and you can't, you can, at that point, you can't mm. then 
say let's uh, reduce it further mm. you can't negotiate mm. at that point the only time to negotiate is now mm. you know and 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 set the the terms and conditions now uh, and that will be in place for for at least 20 years yeah, uh, look, and who knows what's going to happen with the oil price in, tw- exactly. in 20 years' time. Yes. Um, and but, if there is a change of government, for yeah. example, because there's no guaranteeing that the NC will still be in government in 20 years. Uh, that's true. Uh, yes. And um, we, we're almost about to wrap up. Um, just briefly looking ahead for the rest of the year, what are the major things that you're looking forward to, looking out for uh, on the political horizon? Okay, so it's the State of the Nation address. Um, I think that that's the major thing. You know, um, you, you, when you want to be optimistic about the country, you think, okay, so maybe there's going to be announcements as to how to deal with the energy crisis, how to deal with the failing economy, because things are looking really bad. You know, but you just know that after so many years, you, we're not looking forward to, to the State of the Nation address for those reasons. You're looking because of this whole sideshow that's <laughs> going to happen, you know. But two weeks after that is the budget. And I mm. think that's when, you know, the the real straight talk will come mm. from the finance minister. So that's, the, I, I think that's a major thing to be to be able to watch at the end. Whether of he'll tinker with any of the tax rates, and he is going to. Yeah. You know, I think taxes are going to go up, and I think it's a question of how much. Yes, and uh, you know, and, and they may because they the, he, they have been investigating mm. an entire reform of the tax system. So you know, you, you may you may see an entirely different system. Who knows? You know. Mm. So I think that that is one major event. Um, the other thing is that um, the NC in June is having um, a, what they call a national general council. So that is a mid-year conference between its national conferences. So the last one was Mangaung mm. in 2012, and the next one will be in 2017 when they elect a new leadership. Mm. So they have national general councils mid-term between these conferences to be able to evaluate how well they've done or not. Or not. Yeah. Uh, the thing about national general councils is that it doesn't, you can't elect new leadership unless mm. something happens. Mm. Um, but is there a jockeying for position that happens at, at no, those? No. No. Y- you early? don't have, it's more a power play. Like the last one, the national, last national general council that happened in 2010 is actually what started the process of, uh, Julius Malema's expulsion because that's where he kicked up, fa- up a fuss about nationalization. Mm. Uh, the one prior to that in 2005 was where the rebellion against Tabumbeki started because mm-hmm. there was um, an upsurgence from the floor of the co- uh, conference against Mbeki. So, yes, they can be very dramatic, uh, but they, they, they don't have, you can't have a change of leadership, mm-hmm. but you, something happens there. They have mm-hmm. a, a, you know, a track record of these things being really dramatic. So, this is going to be winter. Uh, winter 2015, I think that, that, that's going to be a major event to watch. The other thing that's going to be happening is Kosatu, and it's, uh, you know, uh, now kind of rather tiring housekeeping issues, but it was, it's going to, it's, it's, it's scheduled to have an elective Congress towards the end of this year, around September of this year, but, um, the, the rebels within Kosatu are demanding a special Congress. So you may have two conferences mm-hmm. inside Kosatu to be able to sort out its trouble. So that should also be fun to watch. Well, uh, that's been a, an intimate uh, hour of going through all the major issues uh, in the country at the moment. Uh, Ranjini, thank you so much for joining us again. It's always great to have you in studio. Uh, that's been the Daily Maverick show on Cliff Central. Uh, catch us at dailymaverick.coza or sign up to our newsletter first thing or daily dose uh, from the Cliff Central website. CliffCentral.com